Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host, and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build a business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Are you like me? I have so many ideas swirling around in my head that sometimes I even overwhelm myself. That's why I'm excited to share this episode with you. Today's guest has more than 20 years of experience, primarily in the product industry. She works with entrepreneurs to help them bring their ideas to reality and create a strategic marketing plan for their products. Tune in as my friend Nicole shares her journey, including how she met her husband in the cheese department. Nicole is going to guide us on the steps we can take to not only bring our idea to fruition, but market the product for sales and success. Nicole Delarzac, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Thank you so much, Robin. I'm really happy that you're here. You have a wealth of information to share with my listeners, and I think that a lot of them are going to have some pretty big takeaways. But before we dive into becoming productpreneurs, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about you and what your story is, how you transitioned from the first phase to the second phase and what your past experiences are and just where you live and all the good stuff. Yeah, sure. It's a bit of a windy road that I've had and uh, started off in, well, I graduated from business school and the first thing I did was work in consulting and quickly realized that, no, actually I wanted something more creative. I like the analytical side of consulting, but I wanted something more creative. So then I got a job at Kraft Foods in marketing and Kraft is great because it's like a training ground for marketing. And I was working on the cheese business and pizza. And that's actually where I met my husband in the cheese department. <laughs> he, was on, <laughs> he was on natural cheese and I was on processed cheese. It was a match made in heaven. <laughs> then I moved to Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola, to me, Coca-Cola was the epitome of marketing. So I really was excited to work there. And I worked on different brands. And then we moved to Australia because we just wanted an adventure and loved the warm weather. So my husband was at Nestle at the time and I was at Coke and we moved to Australia and we got jobs uh, at the same companies over there. And I was pregnant with my first child when we were there. And then when I had my baby, my perspective changed on everything. And I just, I felt this sort of sadness about going back to work and going back into the hours that I would need to go back. And so I thought, well, how could I have that flexibility to be with my baby 
And I thought, well, starting a business would be the way to go. So I started a business over there importing foods from South America and selling mostly to private label and brands. And that's kind of how I got started. I know it sounds strange, but I partnered up with somebody who was doing it over here. So it helped me, kind of trained me how to do it over there. And then got into the big chains like Woolworths and Kohl's, which was amazing. And then we stayed there in Australia for about four years. And then just had a life change. Um, my mom got sick and I was pregnant with my second child and really felt the need to, to move back to Canada. And so I left the business I was in, loved it, but I realized that wasn't my passion. I really wanted to help other businesses. And then, so this is a long story, but I went back into consulting, marketing consulting with Coke, and I did dabble in going back to full-time work, but realized again, this is just not for me. And so I thought, how could I help and who want flexibility to be with their kids and who want to start a business? How could I help them? And I thought, well, actually product marketing is something I've been doing most of my career and I really love it. And I'd love to help women who want to launch their own products and we're thinking about the ways that they can get out of the corporate world. I'd love to help them. And so I launched a coaching business to help female productpreneurs either launch or grow their product business. Oh, I love that. And I want you to please tell me a little bit more detail about how you got into importing foods and wholesaling them. It just, that's something I never would have thought of. And it's an industry that I don't really understand how, and I, I've heard of people doing, you know, similar things. Um, but how do you identify the foods that you're going to purchase and who you're going to purchase them from? And then like, how do they become labeled for the people you sell them for? And I'm assuming that happens. So if you were purchasing Mm -hmm. a food from South Africa and then bringing it to the States, then you were having it labeled for say Kohl's and then Kohl's is selling it as their own label. Is that how that worked? Yeah, that's correct. So I didn't think of this idea. I worked with somebody who was already doing this. So that was an interesting, like fast-tracked way of getting into this. I thought, how could I expand your business to Australia? So basically we worked with a manufacturer in South America that was producing canned and jarred fruits and vegetables. I know it sounds odd, but yeah, that's the product. And it's a bit of a commodity, although I worked with them to build other products that were more premium. And so what I would do is I would pitch the products to Kohl's or Woolworths or brands that wanted this product in in particular, or if they hadn't launched a type of product like that, I would see if there was a need within their brand to have that product. And then, yeah, then it would be labeled as their label. And so it's kind of like offering them private label products. And so that is a model that if you're thinking of launching, you can do that. You can open an import business import products for other brands and sell it to them as private label. Or you can label it yourself as your own brand and then that is your own brand and then you're selling it to onwards to the retailers or on your website or whatever. Oh, it's fascinating. You have really run the gamut, so to speak, in terms of from manufacturing to bringing to market to pitching, which is PR, 
and then also doing, you know, the brand building component of it as well. So you've really got an array of experience that you can bring to the table to offer entrepreneurs who want to start a business. And I'm imagining that if somebody has an idea, you would be able to help them not only bring that idea to fruition, but also guide them on the different opportunities and maybe levels of creation or marketing or whatever that they could do with this product. I mean, just the idea of bringing something in, like maybe people haven't thought of that. Maybe they want to create something and they don't even know where to begin to, in terms of creating it, designing it, manufacturing it. Well, there could be something that already exists that they could make their own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could private label something, for example. So this happens a lot on Amazon where people search for products by suppliers and they just buy that product and label it as their own. So you're sourcing the product. You're not inventing anything new in that case. You are sourcing the product, labeling it as your own, and it is your own because it's your own brand. And the way you market it, it is yours because of your own brand voice. So that's another model to look at. There are different ways to think of marketing a product. It's not just inventing something absolutely new. It could be you are the person who's branding it or you are you are the importer or whatever it is. So yeah, there's definitely different models to look at. And then Nicole, I want to jump into like some more strategy behind bringing products, branding products and bringing them to market and marketing them and so to, so on and so on. But I want to first ask you with that model that you were just speaking of, when you take something that someone else created, then you brand it for yourself or you sell it you know, wholesale like you were doing in Australia, are there copyright or trademark challenges that you have to be well-versed in? Or is this something that anybody could do as long as they find a supplier? Mm, the trademark is your own. If it's your own brand, then yeah, you should get that trademarked. And then if you're private labeling something and you're buying something generic, you don't own that formula. So that's something to be aware of that other people, other companies can also use that product and they can sell it too. So you don't own the formula or design. Whereas if you say invent something absolutely new and you apply and you get the patent for it, nobody else can market that product as it is. Mm -hmm. And so you own the formula. So that is uh, the nuance and you are less protected when you do this private labeling venture, but it is a quicker perhaps way to get to market. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm envisioning like, you know, when you go to Target or you go to, like you mentioned, Kohl's or even Home Goods, and you know, you see the same product in all of these stores, but it has a different label, but it's basically the same thing. So Correct. I guess it's just really bringing more competition to market, but you don't necessarily, I mean, I guess there's contracts you have to sign and, and everything else in order to take that generic product and make it yours. But then you're always at risk, I suppose, of them ceasing their production and then you're mm -hmm. left without a product. Yeah, yeah. No, that is true. They can decide not to supply to you, which actually happened to us. <laughs> With the vegetable supplier that we had in South America, they stopped supplying us with canned asparagus, which is what we wanted to offer because they wanted to offer it themselves. So you are at the mercy of, of that supplier if they are the ones supplying to you and you'll have to find it somewhere else. And it's interesting, actually, a lot of the brands that you see, the name brands, whether it be the big companies like 
I don't know, Nestle or Kraft or whatever, a lot of them supply to private labels. So they supply to their basically competitor, which is like some of the store brands. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting that you can compete on a direct level with these other brands and be from the same manufacturer. But you're a branding person and you know that brand is so important. And that's one of the things that differentiates you from others. Your brand could be more trusted and considered more premium than that mm, store brand, for example. Mm -hmm. And so people will choose you, even though it might be the exact same product. Yeah. It's all about building your brand and showing your personality and and building that trust factor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I said South Africa earlier instead of South America. So that's a correction on my part. I totally spoke wrong. Okay. So let's dive into, why don't we use me as an example? Because you know, I have my Etsy shop and in the Etsy shop, I have cards, I have journals, I have masks as well as fine art prints. So let's take those journals. Where would we start? I have this idea. I've created the journal. Now, what do I do? Okay. Yes, this is a great question. And this is something I take people who are just starting out, I take them through a process from start to launch. So first of all, we start out with an idea. You might have that idea for a journal, but you're not sure if it's going to work out. You don't know what to include in it and all this kind of stuff. And so what we do is first go through a process of ideation. We look at that idea, but we also look of it at iterations of that idea and other things that you might think of that solve a similar problem. I always want to bring it back to the problem. What problem is it that you're solving and how are you different? So if it's solving a problem like you want to help other people plan things through the journal and plan the work life or make it easier for them to organize their lives, then how can you help them solve that problem? Is it really through a journal? Maybe it's through a different product. So we go through that process of ideation and we come up with a list of ideas, a long list. And then we narrow the list down to about five ideas that are our top ideas. And we do this through looking at different things like what is the competitive landscape, basically getting um, some people to take a look at that idea, how likely are they to buy into that idea, and so on. There's a few things that we consider. And then from the five ideas, we develop concepts. And these are written and visual expressions of your idea so that if somebody was going to look at it and just look at it in a survey or in a focus group, they would understand right away what your product is and how it's different. And so we write these concepts and we prepare them and then we go through a round of testing through surveys to understand what what concept appeals to them the most? What, are they likely to buy the different products? And what could you improve with the product? And how can you make the concept more uh, easy to understand? And so we get feedback. And this is a really important part of the process is getting feedback. Because if you don't get that feedback, you might launch something that you think is the best. And it may not be needed by your target customer. So you really want to understand all the different things that they need and what they like about it and dislike. And you may find that they love the idea that you're presenting, or they may prefer a different idea that wasn't your top idea. Or you might just need to tweak something in that idea. So there's lots of different things you can learn. And so from there, we refine the top concept. We take all the learnings and refine it. And then we've got our, basically our idea. And then we go into the developing phase. We develop that product into a prototype so that we get our first 
prototype round. And again, we get consumer feedback or target market feedback to understand, is that product meeting their expectations? What can you change? And so on. And you might have to do that a few times. Can I ask you a quick question with that? Mm -hmm. When you have the prototype, do you then go back to the original people that you surveyed? Or is it a new new group of people? You really can go back to the original group. That's fine because you're just trying to understand if it meets their expectations or you can choose a different group. Yeah, it's not dependent on just having the first group. You can do it with a totally new group as long as they're in your target market. Okay. Yeah. And so from there, we also simultaneously, we work on the business plan. And that is really important because you want to truly understand if your product is going to be profitable, what your business model is going to be like, and how you're going to market it, distribute it, logistics, and all of the details that go into it. And I know business planning is something that stops a lot of people because they just get overwhelmed with, oh, I got to write this business plan. You don't have to necessarily write a full business plan unless you're looking to get some funding, additional funding. But for yourself, you just want to know, you want to have a roadmap for where you're going. What are your goals? How are you going to get there? How are you going to market your product? Because as entrepreneurs, we tend to fly by the seat of our pants, but we also want to be rooted in strategy and have a plan so that you know that whatever you're going to do is going to be profitable and it's going to eventually make money. And so then from business planning and developing your prototype, we get into, okay, finally, we've got a finished product that we can launch. And then I would recommend pre-selling the product before you produce it. So for example, what you could do is get a wait list for the product. You could pitch to retailers and get purchase orders so that before you produce, you know, thousands of units, if you're importing from overseas and you're importing thousands of units, you want to know that you can sell those units. So it's great to pre-sell. And then eventually you produce it and you prepare for launch, which is getting all your marketing in order and your website and getting everything ready. And then it's launch time. And that's when you start executing on your business plan. So that's the full journey of a product development cycle. Wow. So you said pre-sale, which that's a brilliant idea. And I see that sometimes with books where authors are saying, you know, get on the wait list and, and whatever, which is brilliant because then you're not stuck with a bunch of stock that you're not going to sell. Yes, totally. So smart. And then after pre-sale, what was the step that you mentioned? Then you would actually produce uh, the the product production and you'd also work on all of your marketing so that people are aware of your product and your website and all of that. And you can also start to really tease out the product and and make sure that the people who are on the wait list know that you're launching and then get them to actually order your product and so on. And then where do you recommend people sell? So they're going to create a website. Obviously people could purchase from their website, but what other steps do they need to take in terms of finding avenues that people can find their products? Yeah, that's a good question because if you just rely on people to come to your website, it can be very difficult to drive traffic to your website. And that's just not the way people shop. Like people shop at say a store or Amazon or whatever it is because they want to buy different products all at the same time. So really think of where your target customer shops and how you can best reach them. So that might be through Amazon. So uh, getting something listed on Amazon. It could be Etsy because that's where your target market is. It could be getting to wholesalers and selling to stores, selling to big marketplaces, things like 
for example, say if it was furniture, it would be Wayfair, or there's something called in Canada called well.ca. Well I don't know if that's in the US, but it's like a, a wellness website. Mm -hmm. So sites that offer a variety of products, it's great to get on those websites so that they offer your product as well as others. And so while they're shopping for something else, they also see your product. But I do recommend to use a multi-channel approach where you're on different types of sites and also in, in locations, or I shouldn't uh, dismiss retail locations, so that they can find your product where it's most convenient for them to find your product. I like that. I'm just, I'm taking notes. They're, like you're giving so much great information. I want to be sure I capture everything. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's really great. So, and I like the different avenues. I like how you said multi-channel approach, because I think that's really important. Like if you're just in one place, then people might not find you. And I think it's really important to know that just having a website isn't enough. Yes, you can drive traffic to your website, but you're going to have to be very strategic with your search engine optimization and, and ways that you're driving traffic, which how would you suggest that people drive traffic? Mm, yeah, there's lots of different ways. And again, I would also take a multi-channel approach to that. One is your SEO, your natural search engine optimization. So making sure that your website is SEO optimized and you could work with someone who's an expert on this. I would suggest that. But looking at the keywords in your site and making sure that they are SEO optimized. It's not just like flowery words as how you describe your your product, but really thinking about what are people searching for and making sure that's within the copy of the product descriptions in your, on your site. And also continually updating your site with regular blog content and whatnot really helps your SEO. So that's one way. Another way is to look at your social channels to really develop a social presence so that people start to engage with your brand and find you that way. And what I'm mentioning here are all sort of considered owned mediums. So these are mediums that you own, you're not paying for, you're just getting your awareness up through these owned channels. But you can also use paid channels. So paid channels would be things like paid Google advertising, paid Facebook ads, paid, I don't know, just trying to think of any digital placement, but so the display ads would be another one. So there's different types of paid advertising that you can look at, and that is to pay to get eyes on your site. And then the third way is through something called earned. So earned would be things like PR, where you earn the right for other people to see your product. So really thinking about how can I get my product out there in the eyes of some influencers or media so that people know I exist. So those are all different ways to drive traffic to your site, but that would be part of your marketing plan that you're thinking of is trying to get the awareness onto, of your website through different platforms and through different levers that you can look at. Oh, I love that. So when you talk about influencers, how do you suggest to your clients to approach influencers? Like, you know, say, let's just use those journals as an example. So you've created this beautiful journal and I know that there's this influencer out there that journals, and I would love to get my journal in her hands. Do you just send the journal to them and say, hey, here's a gift from me. I would love to have you use it and take a few pictures with it. Or do you do a formal pitch? Like, how does that work? Mm, yes. So firstly, I would try to develop a relationship with that person through, say, social media, start to comment on their stuff and even send them a message 
So start to develop a little bit of a relationship so that if they receive something from you, they're not just taken aback and wondering who this is. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I would send them the actual product and let them know it's coming and send a little bit of a media kit with it to talk about your product and how they can help you and, and start a conversation that way. And there is micro, micro influencers out there who don't have a huge following, but would love to share products and just get products. You would get them for free, obviously, but they would love to help you out as well as share something new and offer value to their audience. So you could look at those micro influencers if you don't want to look at something paid. If you're going to look at a larger influencer, then you would need to pay them. And often the larger influencers are not as well trusted as micro influencers because people just know that they're getting paid for different opportunities. So I wouldn't dismiss those micro influencers. I'd send them a kit with your product and really develop a relationship with them. That's a really great perspective. And when you say micro influencers, can you tell the listeners more about what that means to be a micro influencer? Yeah, sure. It's kind of like somebody like you or I, we have, we don't have a huge social media following. We've got maybe a couple thousand or under 10,000 for sure. We do have an audience though. We have people who trust us. We produce regular content and we have an audience who is looking to hear about what we would recommend. So those would be the micro influencers. They're well-trusted. They're very active. They have a business and, and they've got an audience. Yeah, that's very important. And, you know, you have a podcast, just like I have a podcast. And that is a great way for, to me, a podcast is the fastest, easiest way to get your message to the masses. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. Podcast so, yeah. So I way. think um, partnering with other podcasters or, you know, heavy bloggers, I think would be huge assets in terms of getting the word out on your product. So, yeah, okay, sure. mm-hmm. Nicole, I have to ask you this because in everything you've said, you hinted to branding a couple of times, but we've focused mostly on marketing. So as a brand strategist, I have to ask you, how important is it to have a personal brand as a product owner or a product creator, productpreneur, as you call them? <laughs> Yes, I think it's very important, especially as a small business owner, because people want to see the face of the brand. They want to see what's behind the scenes. And if they're just looking at a product, it's very hard to develop a relationship with your audience if you're just showing your product all the time. But if you show yourself and your process of getting that product to market and really reel them in and share with them your journey and ask them questions, ask for their feedback, ask for them to give their input on different products. They will really be vested into your brand. And I've seen this, uh, especially one client of mine does this so well. People just follow her and watch her on stories all the time. And she's so good at developing this community of people who just rave about her. They just follow her, whatever she does. So I would recommend, especially as a small business owner, being the face of your brand. If you're someone like, you know, big corporation, you can't do that as much. So they have to actually hire, hire spokespeople or models or whatever to, to be the face of their brand. So try to do that as much as possible. If you can't do that and you feel like that's too much for you, that's not for you, then maybe you need to look at someone else being the face of your brand. But I do recommend try to get out of your comfort zone and show the behind the scenes and show yourself because people will want to 
develop that relationship with you. Oh my goodness. These are such great tips. So can you please, (laughs) I mean, you just spoke my language. So everything you just said was spot on in terms of building that brand and really increasing the awareness of what goes on behind the scenes and what happens who the people are behind the scenes. We know that people buy personalities. They don't necessarily just purchase products and services. They want to know more about who's creating them. And you mentioned something earlier too about, you know, working with influencers and first building the relationships. And when you have a personal brand, it is so much easier to build genuine relationships and build those emotional connections that are going to further opportunities, right? Give you more opportunities for, for growth and, and referral sources. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a must as a small business owner. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And even, you know, with your, with the products, I mean, bringing in the branding component and visual, the visual aspect of branding, it's really important to have good pictures. You can't represent your product effectively and build the trust factor if you don't have good photographs. Would you agree? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, you can do this, but they DIY the photos they, they have, for example, of their products. And while you can do it, you should know what you're doing because good photography of of your products is so key for someone making a purchase decision. Because when you think about it, they come to your website and they're not able to touch and feel your product. So you have to do the best job you can of selling your product to someone who can't actually physically see it or touch it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to have great visuals. And also lifestyle photography is very important on your website, as another Mm -hmm. example, or your social media. People actually using your product because then people picture themselves using your product. So it's great to have lifestyle photography. In fact, I would say it's essential to have that photography to show off your product. So hire someone like Robin. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's right. So how important, like, does Amazon actually look at that when you want to list a product with Amazon? Do they have specifications for your photography and everything or or not? Like, could you put a, you know, an underexposed image up on Amazon? Does Amazon restrict that or monitor that? Or are you just at your own mercy? I don't think they monitor that actually, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. If they would actually turn away an image that wasn't great. Yeah. I'm just curious because if you're on their platform, they want to sell. So it would make sense to me that they would be particular about, now I know Etsy doesn't. Etsy has you know, I've only submitted good pictures. They have Mm. certain specifications in terms of size of images that go up, but it's concerned with the quality of the image in terms of the size of the image and the pixelation. But I've seen, you know, not so great photos, but I have to say as a consumer, if the image say on Etsy is not a good image, I'm not going to purchase that because I'm skeptical. Yeah, for sure. You're like, what is this mom and pop shop? Or what is, you know, who's behind this? For sure. You've got to look professional in your images. And I guess the thing is, what happens with Amazon or Etsy, if people aren't purchasing your product, your SEO on that site is you're going to be one of the last products shown. So you want to be one of the first products. And the way to do that is to, to have people buy your product. 
and the better pictures you have, the more likely they will be to buy it. So, and then you'll be higher on the list of products that they're showing. Yeah, that's right. So it's, you know, your keywords, key phrases, all of that is important across the board, whether it's on your website or it's on Etsy or Amazon, but you have to Mm -hmm. have all of those key elements there. And then you have to have sales. It's just like social media and the algorithms. They all base Mm -hmm. everything on those algorithms. So the more visible you are and the more engagement you have with whatever product you're producing, that is going to put you up higher in the rankings. So that all makes a lot of sense. Okay. Do you have any other like just really strong tips that you want to leave the audience with and please let them know how they can actually connect with you, learn more about you, but even work with you? Sure. Yeah. So I would say whatever you're doing is to be persistent and to know that you're in it for a reason and always go back to your why, because there will be hiccups along the way and challenges put in front of you and kind of sometimes I think it's just the universe really testing whether or not we're really into it. And I'll give you an example of this. When I was on my mat leave and I was building my business in Australia, I actually pitched to Woolworths and the main buyer at Woolworths because I knew if I had that sale, then my business would be legit and it would be really great. And I needed to get into that buyer. And I pitched and he said, yeah, we're going to order it. And he gave me a sort of his word, not a PO, but his word. (laughs) And then I told Coke at that point, I wasn't coming back. And then right after he told me, no, actually, we're not going to go with your product. (laughs) And, And I was like, what? I thought my business was shot. I thought this would be the end and I've already quit my job. So what was I going to do? But I was so determined and I thought, well, if I can't get in with this buyer, then I'll get in with another one. So I worked around it. I got in with a different buyer at Woolworths for a different type of category. And eventually I got back in with the same buyer, maybe a year or two later, once I developed my reputation at Woolworths and I was trusted. And so I'll just say that sometimes Things don't happen the way you want it to happen, but just stick with it and be clear on your why. And then the second thing I'll say is also imagine your future self and where you want to be. And I did this with a coach once and it was so powerful. And whenever I've had sort of job offers come along the way, I always think about, okay, well, is it part of my five-year plan? No, it's actually not. It's taking me further away from my five-year plan. So I turn those bright and shiny objects down. I turn those opportunities away and and I still focus on what is my five-year vision and is this going to get me closer to it? And so I know these are more mindset things, but I really think it's important to think about where you want to go and where do you see yourself and really follow follow your dream because you really only have one life and you want to live a life with no regrets. So, and I've learned that through many different lessons and through having kids. And I think that having kids is something that is just a gift and really brings us closer to what is our purpose in life and what do we want to do? Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah. And that persistence is important. Persistence, perseverance, dedication, those are all things that we have to have if, if we're going to be in the world of entrepreneurship. Yeah, it definitely, definitely. It's, it's probably one of the hardest and most rewarding things you'll ever do. Yeah, for sure. yeah, I agree. All right. So where can the listeners find you and connect with you and work with you? 
Yeah, great. So you can find me on any social platform at Nicole Delarzac and my website, NicoleDelarzac.com. And I have a podcast called The Productpreneur Podcast. So you can listen to it on any platform. And you can also, if you go to my website, you can sign up to see my free masterclass where it talks about developing and launching a profitable product. So I will put all of that information in the show notes. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed this conversation and learning more about how to bring a product successfully to the market. Thank you so much, Rob. And it's been a pleasure and it's always so much fun talking about marketing and branding with an expert like you. Oh, thank you. Are you looking for unique gifts for the special women in your life? Moms, sisters, friends? The second phase Etsy shop was created with gift giving in mind. Visit the shop to purchase beautiful note cards for every occasion that after your special someone reads the personal note, they can put the card in a simple frame to display in their home. A gift that keeps on giving. The second phase features my original art photography that I personally selected for you. Another great gift idea is a journal. These journals are beautifully crafted with sturdy covers with my fine art images on them. We created the pages lined on one side and blank on the other for those who like to doodle, write in free form, or draw as part of their journaling practice. At the second phase, we believe in creativity as a tool for living a purposeful and meaningful life and want to share our creations with you. Our products are great for teacher gifts, Mother's Day gifts, birthday gifts, and just little happy gifts and inspiration. Are you feeling extravagant and want to treat yourself to some art? Check out our beautiful line of fine art prints. They help any room in your home feel special. To access the Etsy shop, visit my website, www.robingrahamphotography.com forward slash shop. Or you can go straight to Etsy and just search the second phase. But keep in mind, there are no spaces. The second phase is all together. We hope you enjoy the shop and all of the products we've created, especially for you. And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, the Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the second day's podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.